to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we are going to take on that all-important topic recently, which is marine insurance. We've been hearing a lot of chatter about it, lots of questions about it. So we've brought in Ken Marks from Marks Marine Insurance, who is an AGLCA sponsor. And he's going to share his insight into what the insurance marketplace is looking like today. So before I officially bring in Ken, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that business out of the way, I would like to officially welcome Ken Marks with Marks Marine Insurance to Great Loop Radio. Ken, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Kim. Good morning or good afternoon. Uh, this is Ken Marks, Marks Marine Insurance. It's probably better known as insuretheboat.com. That seems to be what our marketing tag has become. Um, and thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been with us before, but for those who maybe uh, were not regular listeners back then, let's start, just kind of introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your business and your boating experience. Well, it all started, the boating experience started when I was the proud receiver of my dad bought me a seven foot dinghy a hard shell dinghy, which I thought I was the uh, king of the uh, waters until the kid with the 11 foot Boston Weller with the 15 horsepower went by me as I was getting hit in the head by the boom of the uh, dinghy. So it started, that's how my boating introduction started with on a sailboat in a dinghy on the Chesapeake Bay. Um, and pretty much from that day forward, I've been involved with boating. Wood, sail, power boats, owned a dealership at one point, uh, was a yacht broker for a good part of it, got into insurance in 1988, got into uh, yacht insurance around the same time, 89, 90, and then was a yacht broker from 90 to about 2015. I just got tired of working seven days a week, 40 hours a, a day, doing both sides of the uh, candle. So now 100% marine insurance. Yeah, and then if for those who have been watching over the past few weeks, we a few weeks ago um, had a broker here, Curtis Stokes, joined us to give us an update on the boat buying market. Um, Cindy Lewis was here last week to talk about the financing end. And then the third component for those out there shopping for their Great Loop boat is really the insurance. And that's become um, quite a hot topic recently because like everything COVID related, um, the insurance market has changed and it's not all related to COVID. Um, but we have seen some shifts in the insurance marketplace. So, you know, kind of give us an overview of what you're seeing out there right now for marine insurance. Well, unfortunately, as of today, today's date being the first uh, of February or the beginning of February, uh, in the last two years, we've lost over 12 marine markets. By losing 12 marine markets, it means the remaining markets are hitting capacity. Um, it's just like a cup of coffee. There's only so much that uh, premium or boats that they could put into the, to the cup, and that's kind of where we're at. So what does that mean? They're going to pick newer boats. They're going to pick people with more experience. Um, it just, it, it took us from 28 marine markets to we got, we have about 12 active markets 
of which eight are pure marine markets. And then the additional markets are the ones that are, I consider them more the homeowners type markets, the all states, the state farms that don't necessarily really know the marine, you know, hazards out there. So Ken, when you're saying using the word markets, um, is that really like akin to different insurers available? Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. Insurance no, companies, fine. the insurance companies are uh, have dwindled down considerably, and and the reason is obviously hurricanes. The last couple of years, now this year we're relatively uh, quiet, but the previous two years were, you know, I don't have to go through history. Um, the a big issue currently is the cost of engines and the cost of lightning strikes. You know, all everything has gone from mechanical engines with cables that would move the transmissions to fly by wire, meaning everything is controlled by computers. So a simple lightning strike that used to be on an average, you know, 40 foot boat, a lightning strike would be eight or twelve thousand dollar claim. Now it's a fifty thousand dollar claim. And so things like that are changing the environment drastically. And honestly, the insurance industry didn't have that crystal ball to see the change in, you know, how technology was going to affect the, the rating system. So that, that's been a big thing right now. Yeah, and I think that's helpful to everyone to understanding what's going on, because if, if you're going, um, you know, just about in half to the number of companies that are out there willing to insure boats, and each one, of course, has a maximum capacity, you know, for how much dollar value they can insure, it certainly changes the marketplace significantly and understanding that change, um, because, uh, you know, what we're reporting today is really not the best of news for those in the market for a boat. And we hate to deliver the doom and gloom, um, you know, particularly this is Ken's business is to get you guys insured. And um, we, of course, want newer loopers to be able to buy that boat and get it insured. Um, but these are some of the marketplace realities today. And I think Ken has a, a great insight onto what's driving that. So, you know, you mentioned, Ken, that with this lower capacity for boats that can be insured. Some of the companies are favoring newer boats, more experienced boat operators. Um, so one of the, the um, constituencies, so to speak, I'm hearing a lot from are those in the market for an older boat who are seeking insurance. So, you know, define for me maybe what some of those companies are considering older boats and, you know, are there, uh, there's kind of this rumor that it's impossible to get insurance for older boats. So is that the case and define that older boat for us? Excellent question, Kim. And it's really the main rumor on the docks right now is, oh, you can't insure an older boat. That is all started from, and let's face it, Geico Boat US is the biggest insurer out there for marine. Everybody knows Boat US. You know, they, they've done a good job in marketing. Geico Boat US has changed their underwriting. They've changed their underwriting that anything that is over it, it gets a little confusing because we use the same number twice. They're not insuring anything. It's over 40 feet and 30 years old. And additionally, they're not insuring anything that's over 40 years old. So because they're the biggest Marine insurer, everybody's saying, Oh, that boat's 40 foot and 30 years old. You can't insure it. Or that boat's over 40 years old. It's not insurable by that one insurance company. True. Geico won't insure you. But there are other players in the market and we have those other players that will insure you now you know older boats and people it, it needs to be understood with older boats the time till failure like anything 
refrigerators, TVs, the older boats, it, it's predicted by actuaries that there's going to be a failure, whether it's electrical failure, mechanical failure. So it's supposed to fail at a, at a point quicker than a new boat. So they say. We know how technology is. It's not necessarily. We all can look at our uh, Apple phones and see how they uh, block or lock up on us uh, quite often. So, um, But there are options for older boats. I, that is the biggest rumor that's out there that they can't be insured. We can insure most of them. With that said, if it's a southern exposure, and southern exposure means Florida or the Gulf of Mexico, those boats and an older age have gotten extremely difficult. So if you plan to be in South Florida or in the Gulf from July 1st to November 1st, expect if you get insurance quote, the rates are going to be considerably higher than say somebody up in you know the Great Lakes or somebody up in the Chesapeake Bay. Right, so and that, the good news that, is if you're on the loop, you probably are not in Florida during those peak hurricane months. So, um, you know, obviously correct. if you're keeping it in Florida and then are doing the loop, make sure your insurance agent knows that because you may actually save some money while you're on the loop from uh, what you were paying for insurance to have the boat in Florida uh, during those peak hurricane months. Um, so, you know, the hurricane season obviously plays a lot into this. Um, I'm glad to hear that you actually can insure an older boat. So um, those folks looking at that just need to probably look a little bit past uh, GEICO. Um, are there other specific categories or types of boats that you can point to, Ken, that are um, also kind of not looked upon very favorably right now by those insurance companies? I, I won't, there's not really a manufacturer per se, but construction. Steel, aluminum hulls, if they're over 15 years old or if they're one-off. Um, unfortunately, it's a shame, but in the States, for some reason, the aluminum and steel hulls are frowned upon. And if it's a one-off boat, it's almost impossible right now to get those boats insured, um, which is different than the European market. Most of the European market are aluminum steel hulls. The other, of course, is wooden boats. It's getting more and more difficult. Um, Cold molded is a different process. Cold molded is a, a one boat that, you know, has been fiberglassed over to, to put it in layman's terms. They are still insurable, but a pure traditional one boat, you know, a older Chris craft is nearly impossible anymore. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And again, you know, uh, don't shoot the messenger here, folks. <laughs> if those are the boats you were looking at, um, you know, Ken and I discussed this kind of at length and we really don't like to bring the doom and gloom. Um, but we do want to give you a realistic picture of the challenges you might be facing if you're getting ready to uh, look for insurance for a boat that you're buying. So um, I think you're better off armed with this information when you're out there shopping for those boats. Um, so Ken, you talked a little bit also about, you know, the hurricane zone. So are there any other geographies um, besides uh, the Deep South, perhaps, that the insurance companies are also looking harshly upon. You know, we know North Carolina sadly has been hit by hurricanes in recent years. Um, is it mostly Florida and the Gulf Coast or are there other places that if you're home porting there, you you can expect to be paying more or to have issues getting coverage? It's the uh, 32 degree line is really, if you're below the 32 degree line, your rates are gonna be more. Um, they really, the companies are really looking for people to be above 32 degrees, which runs right through Georgia. I don't have a chart in front of me, but uh, you can run 32 degrees right across you know, the US. And that, as long as you're below that, the rates are going to be more. Um, 
another misdemeanor, and I hear it every day, is, oh, my marine is a hurricane hole. That was disproven. Hurricane holes were disproven two years ago in the Bahamas. There was 900 and some sailboats on a hurricane hole, and 900 and some sailboats are pretty much disappeared off the face of the earth. So please, you know, unless it's a hurricane building in a, you know, Cat 5 building and the boat's being stored and you, you decide to stop the loop and put your boat in storage uh, during the summer, make sure it's in a, a Cat 5 building. That's important to know. Yeah. Now, a few years back, we were often seeing um, looper insurance policies who required them to be, you know, past that point further north during hurricane season. Um, from what I'm hearing, there's less and less of that where there's a specific, you know, date range. But if you do move below that point during hurricane season, your deductible changes. Is that something you're seeing in the marketplace? Um. The deductible, some of the companies below, um, some of the companies actually have just made their hurricane deductible standard wherever the boat is now. Geico, and, for instance, used to be a 5% below North Carolina, now it's everywhere in the States. Others have put no-name storm coverage on, meaning, hey, you want to leave your boat in Georgia for the summer? We'll insure you, but if there's a named storm, there's no coverage. You're self-insuring. And, you know, I don't know about you, I'm not of that means to, uh, you know, be prepared to pay for a boat of that, but, you know, my boat's of somewhat of value. I, I wouldn't be able to take it out of my pocket to replace, that's for sure. Right. Um, so I'm sorry that the question got a little interrupted. I had a phone call, whatever. That's that's okay. That's no problem. Um, so it, it's interesting that you brought up the topic of self-insurance, because for those who perhaps, you know, are struggling to find insurance, um, you know, perhaps the, it's an older boat and perhaps the budget is a little bit lower. If they're willing to accept the possible loss of that boat, um, are you seeing people who are self-insuring? And if so, is there like a liability um, policy that you offer? That was, that, liability still available for some, from some companies, um, progressive, you know, to drop a name of an insurance company will do liabilities, but they have a foot cut off. I think it's 35 feet for most beat the boats and the rates aren't cheap anymore. Um, the other companies that were doing it still won the survey because they didn't want to just put their exposure out. So some homeowners companies in every state is different with this. Some homeowners companies will extend the liability from the homeowners policy of the boat. But again, it's very specific to the insurance company. You need to check with your homeowner's insurance agent, see if they can extend it off for just liability. And, and for any of you out there considering self-insurance as an option, just um, be aware that a lot of marinas will require um, a copy of that liability insurance. Um, yeah. So you will need some kind of coverage in a lot of cases to pull into a marina there. Um, I, you know, I think this is a good place to take a, a short break, Ken, and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, I kind of want to look at the other factor in the equation that we're hearing a lot of, which is that boaters with less experience are struggling more to find that insurance. And I know that's that's kind of a, a difficult topic as well, particularly for people who are looking to buy a boat to start the loop. So um, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. Green Turtle Bay Marina and Resort has consistently been voted a must-stop by loopers. It has earned the coveted five-anchor designation from Quimby's Cruising Guide. This full-service marina features over 450 slips. 
They are located at mile marker 31.5 on the scenic Cumberland River. Green Turtle Bay is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA, so join them and find your waterway of life. We're back on Great Loop Radio. We're talking today with Ken Marks of Marks Marine Insurance, also known as insuretheboat.com. Um, Ken is sharing with us kind of an update on the status of marine insurance because things are changing pretty rapidly out there. It's becoming more challenging to get insurance for your Great Loop boat. Um, so, Ken, let's talk about kind of that that other big factor, um, which is that loopers with less experience, particularly in the size boat that a lot of loopers are looking towards, you know, the, the 35, the 40, the 45 foot boat, um, it's becoming harder for them to find insurance. So talk a little bit about, you know, why that is and any suggestions you have for those folks. Well, once upon a time, the insurance companies were willing to do captain's training. Um, those companies that were doing the captain's training they have all either removed themselves from the market or they are no longer accepting that endorsement. With that said, the companies are really looking for at least three to five years experience in boating. Um, that can be for some companies, if your family had a boat, say your father had a 36 foot Chris Craft or a 36 foot Silverton, whatever the case would be, and you had the rights to use that boat as your own. And you had that, your father had that boat for seven years, eight years, 20 years, and you could take it on, you know, that boat out on weekend cruises, that could count as experience. But more and more companies are wanting people to have actual three to five years ownership because it is becoming a problem. Very recently, because of COVID, we had a lot of new boaters buy in last year, never had a boat before. They didn't understand the ongoing expenses of being a boat owner <laughs> and they're starting to see it and feel it when you can't use your boat for six months in the northeast and you're paying for winter storage and th those factors are starting to uh weigh on people making their payments plus job security right now is a little off but with yeah get back to your question they're really looking for three to five years experience within 15 feet of what you're looking to ensure so that's that's the answer. It's it's kind of the genie in the bottle. We, it's a... Yeah, it's it's not certainly not information that a lot of um, new loopers are going to be excited to hear. That's for sure. Um, and, and I think that's going to be one of the next kind of big struggles for people getting ready to start the loop. Um, so we certainly encourage you to start seeking insurance kind of on the front end of the boat buying purchase so that you don't go to the expense of traveling to see boats and you don't go to the expense of surveying a boat only to get to the end of the process and find out that you can't get insurance for it. Um, but it really is, it's, a, it's a, an issue um, can because you know you're saying three to five years experience and a boat within 15 feet of the size that you want to get is there a size range that that kind of new parameter kicks in so for example if somebody's thinking about you know doing a trailerable tug for the loop and it's it's under 30 feet does that still apply or, or are we talking about once you get into the 40 and 50 foot boats is when this three to five years kicks in the 23 to 26 is like the max at after 26 feet, the company's going to want to experience. Now with that said, Kim, if we have a resume and they have a lot of charter experience, um, you know, Coasty, if they have Coast Guard experience or Naval experience, there's, you know, there's help there too. If, if they have a boating resume 
and they've taken ASA courses. And it's important for anybody looking to get into this to write down their voting resume. To have that, you know, when they go for insurance applications, submit that because don't forget, we're building, we're representing you as your agent, presenting you to the insurance companies. We're trying to present your resume and try to create, you know, hey, the insurance company wants to buy you as, you know, as a client. So the more there, there's people, you know, I have friends that have never owned a boat before in their lives, but they've helped me take my 58 foot boat back and forth to Florida four times. And through that experience, I mean, it's a hundred hour trip each way. That pretty much, you know, that gives you a lot of sea leg time. So resumes are important. Companies will look at it a little bit. You know, every case is going to be different because every boat to every risk, every operator is a unique risk. You can have two people with the same 37 Silverton on the dock sitting next to each other, same year, same value, and both are going to be paying completely different rates because of their operating experience. Right. So I'm sure there are some would-be loopers right now going, well, you know, how do I gain the experience in a boat in a similar size range if I can't get insurance on a boat in that similar size range? And it is, you know, a bit of a perplexing question. Um, You mentioned that, you know, captain sign-off used to be uh, acceptable for a lot of the insurance companies, and that was where you would hire a professional captain to go along with you for a certain period of time. And that used to be a fairly short period of time. um, And they could sign off that, you know, they had trained you, you were capable of operating the boat. I've seen um, some insurance requests where that was up to a year at this point, and and no one's really going to have the expense of hiring a professional captain to go with them for a year. Um, So, you know, the insurance marketplace is a changing thing. Do you think people will start to turn towards, you know, let me get a 25 foot boat for three to five years and gain some experience so then I can bounce up? Or do you think people yes. just wait for, for the, the marketplace to shift again? I, Kim, I just had that exact situation. I had insured call me or uh, through email. Anyway, he called me and he said that he was looking at him. And his wife's dream was to live on a 50 foot sailboat, but they had never, they have chartered. They had extensive charter, but never had ownership. Well, because of cost of ownership, cost of slips and insurance and whatnot, insurance companies wanted to see experience of ownership. So he went out and bought a 32-foot sailboat. He's keeping it in a slip just for the next two or three years, just so he has proof that he had the ownership. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I am seeing that. I'm starting to see, you know, when I got into it historically, again, talking ancient hat here, but 33 years ago, we all walked before we ran. We we started with 17 foot bayliner or center console and worked our way up it's not unusual especially with newer boats newer technology joysticks pods for people to get into a boat who had never owned a boat before i mean up until you know 18 months ago we had a lot of first-time buyers going out and buying a half a million dollar 35 foot boat and after 40 hours of at helm instruction they were insurable those same people now wouldn't be able to get insurance. So yeah, yeah, that, that's how the, the currents of uh, marine underwriting does change. Um, there is one company, if you have the means, you know, they, some insurance companies do use insurance scoring, which is kind of like a soft hit on your credit score. It doesn't show up anywhere, but if you show that you have the means, they will allow you to get the boat but again, with one year, 
captain supervision, meaning anytime the boat leaves the dock, there has to be a, a licensed captain aboard the boat. Doesn't have to be at the helm, but has to be on board that boat. So we had, you know, that does happen from occasion, um, but it's, you know, it's rare right now. We really need people to get, start with the 18 or 21 foot boat and start working our way out. If this is a, a dream of yours to do the loop, get water time, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with a little education. You know what side of that boat he goes, you know. Right, so a follow-up question to that. Um... We get asked a lot, you know, should I go and get a Coast Guard, uh, a captain's license to do the loop? And the answer to do the loop is you you don't need that. Um, but let's say somebody that's lacking some of the boating experience that an insurance company would like to see does take that approach. Um, does that make them insurable if they've had, because we know that a lot of that, uh, you know, captain's license training, a lot of it is, is classroom type, computer type training. They do require a certain amount of time on the water. But if somebody does have the time on the water to successfully obtain a captain's license, would they then be insurable for their great loop boat most likely or any experience with that? It's an excellent question. And I'll never deny anybody from getting further educated, especially, you know, on the water. Mm -hmm. The six pack license really doesn't carry weight with companies anymore. To, to really have that value, it has to be a uh, tonnage license. You know, a 50 ton, sorry, a 50 ton license would do the trick mm -hmm. or may do the trick because that's showing a lot more home time or water time. Um, the six pack license, especially now because of COVID is so much just online training now. It's not really home time. Right. So yes, a tonnage license, yes. A six-pack license really doesn't carry weight. Okay, good to know. So beyond the issue of just obtaining insurance, um, you also say that we should be expecting some premium increases, whether we've already had an insurance policy or not. Um, I'm assuming that's being driven by a lot of the same factors that we've already talked about, but tell us a little bit about what you're seeing out there as renewals come in and what the premium prices are doing. Now, I can imagine a lot of people are putting a target on the screen on my, my <laughs> European head right now. Do not kill the messenger. For the longest time, now, mind you, I've been doing this for 33 years. For the longest time, the rates have been very, very, very soft and marine. And I know the consumers and insurers don't want to hear this. The rates were very soft. The rates were literally cheaper now than they were in the 90s to insure say a quarter million dollar boat was paying less than half of what I used to charge in 1990s. It's just because there were so many companies, you know, it's simple economics of supply and demand. The rates were soft, a lot of companies. Now you have a half, less than half the amount of insurance companies. The rates are getting hard. They need to make up for the rate. Um, people don't believe this. Marine insurance is a voluntary insurance product. We all have to have insurance. If you own a car, you have to have liability insurance, state law. That is not the case with all, with boat insurance. Boat insurance, it's voluntary. You need it to get in the state parks, ramps, and most marinas, you need liability insurance, yes. But you don't have to have it unless you have a bank loan. With that said, the yacht insurers don't have to insure you. It's a it's a luxury item product. And that's when people get really confused. They, they're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm giving you a quarter million dollar boat to insure. Why doesn't the company want 
Well, it's not that they don't want it. It's they don't want you as your inexperienced operator. So that there's a very fine balance there. It's not that the companies don't want it. They need experience because you've got to, it's not like a home. This is a moving target. Your boat is, we already know what's going to happen with your home. You know, historically, who knows with the, the way the weather patterns are changing, but historically your house is in a hundred year flood zone or, you know, a hurricane zone or wind zone with boats that targets moving every day the environment's changing and it's it's tough for an underwriting company to do that and we alluded to the fly-by-wire stuff the lightning hits the cost of engines compared to what the engines cost in the you know a 1990 boat compared to a boat of today's build is astronomical and they're building the reason the engines one of the reasons the engines cost so much is for um environmental they're charging each engine has environmental cost to the consumer to help pay for the technology that went into it so and then you know there's so much new stuff systems in a boat the pods the sea keepers a lot of boats have two generators now now majority of your boats in the loop don't have these systems there's there's a decent amount of boats with pods there's not a lot of boats doing it you know with twin generators um but you know all these factors have added into the insurance rates going up and i'm not I'm not gonna make excuse, it's difficult, but this is the reality. When you have 10 companies left, 12 companies left, they're kinda, you know, they gotta, they gotta answer to the board and they gotta be profitable. So that's where we're at with rates. Do I see it changing? Not, not within the next two or three years, unless things calm down with uh, cost of technology, it's going to stay up here for a while, mm -hmm. so. So like most markets, this is cyclical. So while we wait for it to, you know, trend downward again, any suggestions from your experiences that you can give people for how to perhaps, you know, bring those premiums a little bit under control? Should they look at higher deductibles? Should they look at where they're keeping the boat? What are your thoughts? The deductibles are important as to if there's a boat loan or not. The boats, uh, most Banks are only allowing, and you know, this is uh, the lenders are more uh, apropos to answer this question, but most banks will not accept higher than a 2% deductible. So that's something to keep in mind for a lot of our loopers. The home port is very important that majority of our rate is determined June 1st to 11, uh, you know, 11, 1 November 1st. So, and I know all, most of the loopers are moving targets, but we have a crossing the wake point. We, we all know that, right? So we need to establish where that's going to be. And it's usually where you buy the boat or obviously where you start out from for your adventure. If that's in you know, Florida compared to say Virginia and we're using Florida as your home port, even if the boat's not in Florida during June 1st to November 1st, the companies are seeing that. So that's something to consider, you know, home ports are very important for the loopers to uh, stay above that 32 degrees once again. All right. Um, can anything else, you know, anything I didn't ask about that you feel like you would want loopers to know as they're seeking insurance? Well, it's more for our, vet, our veteran loopers and there are, you know, the people currently active in cruising. There's a something that came out, and a lot of our loopers are insured with Geico. 
Geico started and it will affect you on your renewal policy. The Caribbean, the Bahamas cruising now is limited to four months per policy term. So that means if you started your policy renews January 1st, you only can stay in the Abacos or the Bahamas for four months till the following January 1st and that's it. It's becoming a hardship for a lot of my veteran loopers. Uh, you know, the limited time to stay in the Bahamas. We all know crossings dictated by the weather. So we, we've got to be aware of that. Um, what else? Uh, so a, a question kind of along that that line for you, Ken. Um, you know, we've received some requests from members, you know, with this whole issue that it's harder to get insurance than it once was, um, you know, for cruising organizations like AGLCA to kind of lobby to get that changed. From your experience, is that something that is doable or are the companies just completely in control here and, and you know, is there anything that, any actions you can suggest that as a community cruisers can take to try and, and change this situation? Uh, the, voice, the voice of many is much stronger than the voice of one agent. Mm -hmm. I have tried. <laughs> I have gone about, I've, I spent six years in Abacos. We had a 36-foot trawler in Marsh Harbor. So I am very, very fond of the Abacos. And it's been an ongoing battle that I have gotten nowhere. Mm -hmm. So as an association, it may be worth to confront them. They're the only company doing it, Geico. My other companies don't put a limit other than they want you, you know, most of the companies want you by July 1st north right. of um, 32 degrees or, or Georgia or whatever their their point may be. Um, but again, a large majority of our insureds are, you know, our loopers are with Geico mm -hmm. and it is a hardship right now. Yeah. So, well, and I'm talking about beyond just the issue with the four months in the Bahamas, but, you know, all of these hardships that we're talking about with the age of the boat and the experience of the operator, um, you know, are the, are the companies open to feedback on that from, from groups of cruisers is, um, you know, we would love to be able to affect some change there if it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> I would say try, but I yeah. would say I am, uh, I'm 33 years in the industry. I am a very loud voice. Mm -hmm. I really shake a lot of trees and I've not been able to get much to happen. You know, yeah. I'm actually working on other programs, offshore programs, Lloyd's of London even, which was a big player in what we had to do here with the loopers. They have pretty much imploded on themselves. That's uh, another story to itself, but um, we're hoping to bring another syndicate into the, you know, the Lloyd's of London program into the play. And if it's, if we can, that will answer a lot of problems that we're having right here. But, with that said, it's a crystal ball. You know, I, I can't promise anything. The voice of many is stronger than one. A, you may be able to lobby, but I can't promise. I mean, it's oh, it yeah. all comes down. Kim, we're talking about actuaries, and we're talking about people that sit there with statistics and have actual numbers and have facts that we don't have. And, it's, and that's it's exactly um, the struggle I see with the calls for us to kind of lobby for that. You know, traditional lobbying and some of where we've been able to make progress by lobbying have been with um, regulations, state regulations, where there are lawmakers making those decisions. 
based on their constituencies requests, you know, based on a number of um, sometimes statistical, but often emotional factors. I think it's a different challenge with an insurance company um, where it is an actuary and that with hard numbers behind them. Um, but we'll certainly, you know, make some attempts down that road and see if we can make any progress. It certainly will be an uphill climb. Um, Ken Marks, thanks for joining us today and thanks for sharing some of your insight. We will not shoot the messenger. We actually really appreciate having the information to move forward with. So thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kim. And of Safe course, travels, everyone. you as well. And of course, all of this information is yet another reason why you really should engage an insurance professional who understands the great loop when you're seeking insurance. So Ken, Marks with Marks Marine Insurance. Um, InsureTheBoat.com is one of our sponsors. We've got several sponsors in the insurance space that you can find on our sponsor directory on the greatloop.org website. So we encourage you to check that out. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Next week, we will be talking to Steve Arndt from Columbus Marina. He'll be filling us in on what we should expect from marinas during the COVID era as people start to be on the move for their Great Loop. So until then, safe cruising, everyone. Oh,